Hey, dear listeners, welcome to On The Mount Podcast with OK and the and myself and Michael Onyagwa. First things first, we're going to talk about Anchor, one of our sponsors. Uh, it's a fantastic website, too. I mean, if you want to put out audio of any sort, um, it's a fantastic resource. Um, you know, you could use it to record, put out ads. It's um, a, a very efficient website that does a lot of things for you. When you go, when you just go on there, saves time, especially as a smaller business. I've been using it. We've been using it for our productions, and it's been a game changer for us. And you know, advice that you go ahead and use in the encore. Um, definitely take a take a look at it and keep keep going with it. Um, we're going into the new, the a new podcast today. You know, it's going to be about the upcoming election season. In the next couple of weeks, it's going to be fantastic. We're going to talk about it. Uh, we're going to talk about. Some of the perceptions about the um, candidates and their possibilities of winning, you know, stay tuned, talk, expect your feedback. It's going to be fantastic. And uh, yeah, let's get into it. Thank you. Hey, dear listeners. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Okay, and the myself, Mecca Onyagwa, you know, we aim to present to you guys a whole new um, perspective format that you don't get anywhere else but it's it uh, i can't stress that enough it's not something that you can get anywhere else you know um we'll be delving into a whole bunch of issues primarily nigeria um africa in general as well uh but yeah you know um we do for the most part record out out of africa but it's something you should listen to as a unique perspective it's it's, it's a whole no holds bar um you know it's a work in progress but you should stay tuned, stick with us, stick with us on this journey, and it'll be worth it. Um, and yeah, without any further ado, let's get into this greeting. Thanks. Yeah. Um, good morning, evening, good day, I don't know. Whatever time they're listening, good whatever. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, so yeah, man, finally, finally got to the point where we got, we finally started um, the doing this you know i've been talking about it for a long time myself and the myself my name is mecca onyagwa and the illustrious and well published <laughs> my name is simply okay oh yeah are you okay <laughs> <laughs> that's a story for another day you know yeah, that's interesting though. That, 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 if you ever read the book, man, that, that stuff is it never, it never, it never <laughs> making me laugh. Are you okay? Yeah. You, yes, I'm okay. Yeah. It's like that. Um, you ever watch the clip? I think it was Russia, Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker. So um, Chris Tucker is like, you know, are you you? It's like, yeah, you? Okay, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm you. Yes. It's like, no, are you you? I'm you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see that guy. Yeah. Look, look, are you me or you? <laughs> that guy's like, I'm me. About that way, times I see that, I just yeah. keep laughing. Yeah. Okay, it gets me in stitches, man. Stuff is funny, though. Yeah. Yeah, but that, that, that had to have been funny back in the day, man. That's, yeah, that's like, that. Yeah. If you probably say the lady now, you probably. <laughs> I mean, do you ever say the lady after that? Um. Well, they. Um, uh, the woman who asked me at a grocery shop, "Are you, are you okay?" Yeah. Um, I actually don't remember who she is you know, <laughs> because it was no, 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 no. She didn't ask me. She asked a friend of mine. Ah. Right? Mm-hmm. She met a friend of mine in a store, 
um, Agpelo Wetsi, who was from Botswana. He's sadly, he's now late. And um, so it has snowed quite heavily. And uh, Ike was at the grocery shop pushing his cart down an aisle. In the opposite direction came this white woman. And as they passed each other and exchanged greetings, the woman said to him, how do you like the snow? And Ike said, I don't like snow at all. I like it warm and dry. And the woman said, um, oh, you have an accent. Where are you from? He said, Botswana. And she said, is that in Africa? He said, yes. And the woman said, are you okay? The guy said, yes. And so the woman stopped and began to talk to him with great interest. And they had talked for about 12, 15 minutes. And suddenly the woman said, I can't believe you are okay. And the guy said, is there anything about me that suggests I'm not okay? And uh, the woman said, no, it's just that I've heard stories about you. And he said, you have? She said, yes. He said, what stories? And the woman said, well, I hear that you are in town to edit an international magazine. And Ike Pelowitz said, no, that's not true. I'm a graduate student at the University of Massachusetts. And then the woman said, but you said you were okay. And the guy said, yes, I'm fine. <laughs> At which point the woman said, I'm sorry. There is actually somebody in town whose name is OK. And I thought I was meeting him. And Ike said he left that uh, encounter really upset. He thought that what had happened was that the woman wanted to pick him up. And he said he was willing to be picked up. And he felt that the woman changed her mind midway through their conversation and came up with a silly story about somebody whose name was OK. <laughs> so the very next day, Ike met me in Amherst, Massachusetts, where I lived at the time. And so as we shook hands and I said, my name is OK, OK, in debate, he began to laugh. And he said to me, you won't believe what happened yesterday. And he told me of his encounter with this woman. So we became friends. So I never quite met the woman uh, who asked the questions in the store, um, unless it's possible she met me uh, and didn't relate the story to me, but I did. Yeah. This was, this was like one. No, I, I, I came to this country December 1988. And so this must have happened uh, within the first few weeks. So uh, late December or early January of 1989. Yeah. That's interesting, though. It's amazing, though. Okay, when you came here, you, you came here to try to write for. Um... I came to America uh, at the invitation of uh, the great. Uh, novelist Chinua Achebe, who co-founded a magazine with uh, called African Commentary with uh, Professor Bat Naji, who uh, is an industrial engineer by training. So both of them co-founded this magazine and invited me to come be the founding editor of the magazine. So that's what I did. Yeah, Wait, but but back then, man, I mean, this was like in the eighties. Early, late eighties, early nineties. Mm-hmm. How did you like keep abreast with stuff else happening in Nigeria? I mean, it was crazy. Though. Well, yeah. Well, I had just I've, I've been um, all my life very interested in Nigerian politics and um, had been writing for newspapers uh, since uh, my last year in secondary school, which we call you know, which is what Americans call high school. 
And um, I ended up working for both the Concord newspaper, which was the most widely circulated newspaper in Nigeria at the time, and ultimately for the Guardian newspaper, which was uh, regarded as the most intellectually savvy publication in Nigeria. So I was an editor, um, an associate editor of uh, the African Guardian, a weekly news magazine at the time that Chino Achebe invited me to come uh, found uh, African commentary magazine based in America. And so I had contacts uh, back in Nigeria. I used to call quite a lot. And um, they used to send me newspapers and the like. And so through both phone calls and uh, um, I remember visiting Union Square in Cambridge frequently. Hmm. Uh, it had, and I suspect it's still there, a magazine stand that sold some African magazines and some African newspapers as well. So um, the steady stream of visitors from Nigeria who were coming to America. So through all of these um, means, one was able to keep abreast of uh, political, social, and other developments uh, back home in Nigeria as well as in Africa. Yeah, yeah I can't imagine, man. When I moved, I just moved. But then again, there was the internet, Facebook. <laughs> so, That's right. I mean, for me, it was a lot easier. But man, keeping abreast and then trying to run a magazine back then, mm-hmm. that, that was pretty interesting, man. Until now, like... My wife always says that, yeah, if there's one guy I'm sure that has NTA in his house in America, it has to be okay. <laughs> I actually don't have NTA, uh, principally because NTA doesn't do much for you except give you government, <laughs> pro-government propaganda. Um, but I do watch some Nigerian television, channels television, for example. We get channels uh, here. On, on the internet. Oh. Yeah, yeah, you can stream channels. Live? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, you know, uh, all the major newspapers in Nigeria oh, yeah. now have an online presence. Yeah, they, they're finally taking it seriously. Congrats. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because most of them, I mean, they would update some stories, but it really was more like chaos going to their websites and checking out that stuff. It, yeah. yeah, it was. I think, I think a number of them are getting better. I think the Vanguard, and uh, and the punch uh, sort of lead uh, in terms of uh, their technological innovation on the on, on the internet, you know. So sort of when they post stories, they quickly update those stories. But there are lots and lots of websites now that are reporting or commenting on news uh, in Nigeria, in West Africa, in Africa, hmm. and uh, so there isn't. Um, uh, there is a surfeit of information uh, coming out of our continent and of, out of our country. Yeah, and most of which is like real crazy stuff, mm-hmm. funny story. I know, yeah, people in Nigeria will always be like, yeah, you guys don't live here, you're always lecturing us mm-hmm. about uh, because you don't live here, you're not feeling the pain yeah. and the pinch. And, and uh, are you Americanos or the Briticanos or what? It's always funny. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. I don't live here. Doesn't I don't live there? Doesn't mean doesn't preclude me from saying something. I yeah. guess. And I think that the whole idea that you don't live there and therefore you are staking the country somehow uh, reduced is silly. Uh, first of all, uh, we all have uh, 
a number of relatives and a number of friends, a number of colleagues, loved ones uh, who reside in Nigeria. We all are invested in Nigeria in one way or another uh, to varying degrees uh, in terms of financial support that we provide uh, to people in Nigeria, in terms also of um, just emotional uh, it's an emotional quotient and I think that um, uh, part of the reason uh, we must speak uh, about the affairs of our country is that the division of Nigeria into those resident in Nigeria and those living abroad is a false one uh, a lot of Nigerians who are resident in the country who are in uh, positions of political office uh, are the ones who uh, wreck that country by stealing its resources. And guess what they do? They bring those resources outside of the country to Europe, to North America, uh, to Asia, uh, to other African countries, and they invest uh, in real estate and they invest in street, expensive cars and so on and so forth, thereby pauperizing the country. Um, so I think that if we left the conversation about Nigeria only to those who are in Nigeria, then that would be a huge mistake. We are all, um, and after all, a lot of us, I went to Nigeria four times last year. I have, um, I've gone this year and I'm going to go at least once, perhaps twice uh, this year. Um, and so in a lot of ways, I'm invested. You know, my mother is sick in the hospital. Uh, what kind of care she is receiving or not receiving uh, affects me on so many levels. Um, my father died um, 23 years ago, um, having received very incompetent care in hospitals in Nigeria. And these were hospitals. This was a healthcare system that used to be sound in the 70s and, and early 80s. And then a combination of, of political idiocy, uh, financial uh, viciousness on the part of uh, government officials, uh, starved all sectors of uh, institutions in Nigeria of funds. And so you have a country where um, educationally um, we're producing graduates every year uh, but when you talk to graduates of English for example you see that they haven't even begun to learn the very basic rudiments of a sentence <laughs> much less uh, much less uh, how to write in a complex way uh, much less how to articulate themselves in a way that will be uh, intelligible uh, to somebody who isn't living inside of their mind. You see, it's that kind of thing that where people are always like, well, I mean, you know, I don't think any sensible person can disagree with anything you just said, but the thing is, they will always point out to the fact that, well, we don't live here. We decided to run. Like, there's some kind of struggle mm. that we decided yeah. to. We ran yeah. away from the battle. We ran away from the battle, which is, again, stupid. Um, I have lived in America in December. I would have lived in America for 30 years. And I was 28 when I arrived in this country. So I've lived more of my life in America than I have in Nigeria. Now, I wrote a weekly column 
focused on Nigeria for 18 years. I stopped only last year in March. Because of the uh, unsparing quality of my writing, uh, because I called out corruption amongst the ruling classes in Nigeria, because I indicted uh, uh, successive Nigerian governments for rigged, violent elections. And the love arresting idea. Precisely. <laughs> so the Yaradua government put my name on a list of enemies of the Nigerian state. And so from 2000, um, because I, I had to keep away from Nigeria as long as Yaradua lived, but from 2011 to last year, I got arrested between eight or nine times at the airport wow. when I arrived uh, to visit and detained, and, and detained uh, for anything between two hours and ten hours, you see. Um, and so when Nigerians, those who live in Nigeria, try to create this false dichotomy between those of them who live in the country and those of us who live outside of the country, I tell them that I have paid a stiffer price, say, than most of my colleagues who comment on Nigeria and who live in that country. And often I bring a clearer sense of a greater sense of clarity about the moral and ethical issues playing themselves out in our politics much more than my colleagues who are in Nigeria who out of perhaps cowardice or from being compromised by politicians are unable, are unable to articulate uh, truthfully and courageously the tragedy of our country. Yeah, I'll take the compromise part. I think most of them, they, their entire incomes are just from from pretty much from the government. Um, so you can't really bite the fingers that feed you. Can't write against people that you're expecting to give you that brown envelope, you know, uh, brown envelope with the money. Mm -hmm. You can't really say, and I've seen it so many times, like my experience in sports was, I think I stopped really paying attention to Nigerian sports in 2002 mm -hmm. because, I mean, I saw the disconnect between what happened and what people were reporting. And I saw why they were reporting what they were reporting because they were compromised, like you said. Mm -hmm. So you had the case in the Nations Cup in January. I think the World Cup was supposed to be in June. Mm -hmm. And, you know, got to a head when the players, you know, um, wanted their allowances and bonuses. And then I think it was the night before the semifinal match against Senegal, mm -hmm. which, you know... Uh, all hell got let loose. I think they said about 2 a.m. in the morning, which was factual. Uh, so the captain of the team, Olisa, just got up like, you guys can't leave. There's no point. I mean, basically, it was more like, this is not going anywhere. You guys can't leave. I, 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 you know. And then the next day, you know, they lost the game. Because mm -hmm. they were, I think they were up to like 3, 4 a.m. and they had a game mm -hmm. next day, like 2. Mm -hmm. And they lost the game. And then, you know, the press straight out attack mm -hmm. strip the team they attack them so much and it's easy to turn to get my incite nigerians kind of mm -hmm. like inciting people to yeah. set the 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 guy that is stealing something on fire yes you know it's just so easy like it's so it's yeah. so amazing when i see those videos you see people yes. run around 
put yeah. tie on some guy. Yes. Meanwhile, the guy that's stealing the billions and killing your family, yes. y'all, you pull out, I give him chieftaincy titles. Like, yes. there's no, yes. <laughs> there's no balance in both of them. And I saw that with that Nations Cup and I was like, damn, you know, they, they stripped the team, the coach got, was left out, mm-hmm. all the players that qualified Nigeria were left out. They sent a team, oh yeah, you know, we need hungry boys, these guys have too much money. So, mm-hmm. And I was like, they, they, you know, they, they, it was easy to victimize them for their success and mm-hmm. because their success wasn't born out of begging anybody anymore. Mm-hmm. They didn't need That's right. to go like I saw the other 20 team. I saw a picture two weeks ago, I think, or last week, I can't remember, of the Nigerian under 20 female team kneeling down uh, in front of the politicians yes. to, to beg Receive them to release their allowance. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. And <laughs> it's, it's, it's part of the tragedy, see, in our country that you see um, that labor is, um, is mocked, you see. Uh, if you have wealth, however ill, um, illicit the source of that wealth, you are celebrated, you are venerated, um, and um, uh, I remember actually uh, working for uh, a newspaper in Nigeria um, um, and at the month end would hear that the publisher had traveled abroad and had not signed a check to enable uh, the, the company to pay us our salaries. And so we had rents to pay. We had all kinds of other bills to pay. Uh, food to buy, monies to send to relatives, dependents who were expecting all of this. Uh, but we couldn't do any of that because the publisher, and this was a newspaper that was making money, right. but the publisher would decide to travel abroad and we had no recourse. And sometimes he will come back two weeks later. Man. And so we'll start saying, oh, uh, we hear the publisher is back, so rain will fall soon, <laughs> you know, and then people like would then for money. people would then go out and buy beer to celebrate that we have finally been paid. And so when I came to this country, one of the things that most moved me was um, the magazine that I came to edit didn't have much money. So on one occasion, Professor, Professor Naji uh, issued checks to our American staff and uh, somehow he was expecting some checks to be there so that those checks would be good. Uh, they paid in their checks. They were told by the bank that uh, there wasn't enough money to cover their checks. And I remember an African-American woman, a young woman, dressing Naji down and saying, this must not happen again. When I work, I need my check and I need it to be to clear. Okay, next time if this happens, I'm calling my attorney. And I looked in amazement because this was the first time I saw that actually in some places in the world, when you worked, you deserved your, your wages. And that, that right to your wages were respected, was yeah. respected. Yeah. You know. So um, unfortunately, we live in a country where, as you rightly said, um, if somebody is so hungry that they picked somebody's somebody else's pocket uh, for a hundred naira to buy a loaf of bread, and this person were caught, uh, the mob will gather, 
nobody will show mercy. Somebody quickly, you see, it's 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 it's, 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 it's why you see Nigerians as their most efficient. Somebody will provide a tire from nowhere, fuel would appear from nowhere. Somebody would volunteer a match from nowhere, and within sometimes a minute or two, they this petty thief will be set ablaze, and then the same crowd as they are doing this, uh, you find a governor who has stolen. Uh, he stayed silly and had not paid salaries for 12 months, 18 months. He would drive by in his convoy and people would draw up, you know, and they would bow and they would, you know, throw their hands in the air yeah. in celebration of, 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 of the grand thief. <laughs> but the petty one, it's, it's almost as if we say, we want you to be we want you to be ambitious if you're a thief. Be a state governor, be a president, or be a minister and steal billions, right? If you steal a hundred naira, that's 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 grave sin in Nigeria. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's so bizarre when I see I'm like there's simply no consistent like what? Why? I let the same guys are all angry, beat to the pan, and the same people watch as you know, I mean for me all the things that hit me most in this country was America was just like there was a day I was talking to this um, I think at this point in time he was this man was from, originally from Panama you know but he was from the Panama Canal at this point in time so if you don't know the story of Panama Canal real quick Panama Canal is something that was carved out of Colombia essentially um, if you want to be politically correct you could you could Google and you know get a nice story but the reality is they were going to create a canal in America basically helped or basically created a new country to make it easier for them to to make sure that the Colombia wouldn't have um, economic control over what was going to be a very vital route. Um, I know people out there might want to say something else, but that's basically what happened. Um, it was vital for America to have a country control that controlled the canal um, because any, anything absent of that, they would have lost the arms race because, I mean, having to ship cargo from the West Coast all the way to Europe would have been catastrophic. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, Smile was born in Panama Canal, and those people born in Panama, like John McCain, then you were automatically American citizen. So, mm-hmm. you know, he was born in that canal. He was well, black. When I say black, I don't even mean like, oh man, this guy's like long. Like, you know, this is pure descendant of, you know, like 90% black. Mm-hmm. You know? And he said something to me. He was working. This was like his third retirement job. This man was like 90 at mm. this point in time. Mm-hmm. Like his third retirement job. Like, yeah, man, he's had one wife for years and stuff. We will always come down and talk. And, you know, it was a very, um, it was a very different environment. Pretty white. Put it that way. You know, so, yeah, you have affinity with those people. Actually, those ones that are actually, you know, black and you come down and, have that call and the, the man looks, looked at me one day and he's like oh, yeah, well he finally he told me something like yeah yeah something even with all the white guys it, it, it hit me coming from him like like wow well, the one thing he had, he had never experienced with the white people is when he came to the 15th of the month he got paid yes but he had that experience with, so when he said that I was like damn so this does all the whole yeah. Nigeria. Yeah. Like, like I, I was speechless. Like I, to me, I'm hoping yes. that it's just something <laughs> that Panama and Nigeria have in common, period. You know, it's not it's not in all those countries wide or whichever. You know, as a, as a friend of mine, when I say um, majority black countries, he starts with they start arguing about the semantics or constructs. Well, these are all European countries. 
yeah, fine. All I can say in this case is I, I'm hoping mm-hmm. that that's just a similarity between Nigeria, which I know, and, and you know this gentleman's experience from Panama, which yeah. he knows, yeah. period. But I, I hope it's no farther than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's interesting. I, I don't know why that happens. I don't know why um, people love to belittle work in Nigeria. I don't know whether it's a psyche mm-hmm. or what. You know, people don't, most times people feel like, most companies feel like they're paying you is doing you a favor. That's right. That's right. But, you know, if you look at it also, it's a consequence of the kind of um, of, a, of country, the kind of economy we have uh, built. Um, I have a cousin who graduated from a university with a degree in accountancy uh, about uh, 25 years ago and he's never found employment. So he's doubled in, you know, minor things, but he's never had employment. Um, and this is not uh, an, uh, an exceptional story. This is uh, a fairly widespread experience for a lot of Nigerians. Um, and so jobs are not forthcoming, uh, and the jobs that are available uh, are often very low paying jobs. And the good jobs in the corporate world, the good jobs in the government public sector are usually hijacked uh, by um, high political figures who give those jobs to their relatives and to, uh, to their cohorts uh, and so on. And, um, and so in a place where somebody can say to you, if you're not happy that you've not been paid for six months, put in your letter of resignation. And you look and you see that uh, you have 10, 15, 20 people you can count who haven't got a job in 10 years. So you are, you know, a lot of Nigerians are therefore willing to accept this situation of enslavement in the name of uh, holding down a job. And people will say to you, at least you are lucky that you have a job. At least from time to time, um, you will get something. How about so-and-so who doesn't have a job, uh, who depends on the uh, uh, on handouts from, you know, uh, philanthropists uh, to to eat? Uh, but so in the end, what you find is the constant dehumanization of the Nigerian. In fact, for me, it's no longer the dehumanization of Nigerians. It is the animalization of Nigerians. So Nigerians are treated as if they were animals. And you look at every sector. You look at every sector. Um, I was in London a few years ago being interviewed on Ben Television. And uh, it was during the uh, administration of um, Good Luck Jonathan. And I proposed that Goodluck Jonathan was a disastrous president, which I believe he was. Of course, Buhari, uh, as I expected, <laughs> as I predicted, was going to be as much of a disaster, and that's also come true. But that does not uh, re- remove the fact that Jonathan was a failure. So anyway, so I was indicating this, and some young man called me, because it was a calling program, called him from the UK and says, uh, you have to be objective. Uh, Jonathan has made achievements. I said, what are those achievements? And he said, uh, you know, people are paid. 
uh, the end of the month and uh, he is building roads. And I said to him, you live in the UK, right? He said, yes. I said, how many times have you heard the British Prime Minister or the Mayor of London say that paying salaries or building roads was an achievement? And the man's response was, um, you can't compare Nigeria to Britain. And I said, why not? Because every night, get this, every Nigerian governor, every governor in Nigeria, every senator in Nigeria, every member of the, of, of the, of the House of Reps in Nigeria earns far more money than the U.S. president, every, than the U.S. president, earns far more money. Of course, they don't earn it. They take far more money. They get paid, they get paid, they paid more. They take, they, they take they, more. <laughs> they take more than the U.S. president. They take more than the British prime minister. They take more than any European prime minister or president. Okay? So, and we, Nigerians, accept this. But once you say, let's hold them to high standards of performance, the same Nigerians will say, oh, no, you can't compare them to America. So I said, why don't you insist, therefore, that they be paid like people who are not playing in the first leagues? Why should we pay these people uh, four or five times for the U.S. president? By the way, there's this criminality called security voting in Nigeria. It's still there. It is still there. Wow. It is still there. It's going nowhere fast. Unless, of course, workers in Nigeria organize and insist that it be expunged. Well, anyway, true security vote, which is funds that each governor and each president in Nigeria has available to him every month. And they can spend that money without any form of official audit or scrutiny. So, if... So if um, if you uh, consider the fact that the minimum that most state governments governors get for security vote is three hundred million, most of them get anything from six hundred to a billion naira yeah. a month. They don't account for how they spend it. So every month, every Nigerian governor wow. has available to him something that is close to and sometimes more than the annual salary of the U.S. president. Okay? And nobody is worried about that. But then insist that these presidents or these governors work. Somebody will say the governor is paying salaries. That's an achievement. And so you ask them, if, you, if Nigeria were your property, private property, would you hire somebody as chief executive to run that space for you? Pay him the allowances and all the other funds that Nigerian governors get. And all they do, all they deliver is that they pay salaries. And from time to time, they tar a road in a very mediocre way because one rain or two and the, rain is, the, the road is washed off. But there's something deeply pathological about the way we look at public resources. And it is at the very moment, if you like, of our emergence as a nation. So that the nation, the idea of the public space is still very deeply 
alien to the Nigerian. So the Nigerian, the average Nigerian thinks the public space is a place where you go to amass resources. So it is in the private space that there is any form of accounting. So that your, if you have money, a lot of money, your children might complain that, oh, dad has not bought us cars, okay? Mm-hmm. Or dad has not sent us to vacation abroad. But a governor could misuse the entire resources that come to a state per month, not pay salaries, not meet what should be obligations to workers who are putting the work. And if they, ha- if they haven't put in the work, which happens to be the case a lot of times, that people hardly work in the public uh, sector in Nigeria. But then, rather than owe people, fire them. Okay? If they have nothing to do, they are holding sinecures, you know, then fire them. But you can't keep people on the payroll and then fail to, to pay them. And then Nigerians make excuses. And and it's all kinds of excuses. You know, we, we've invented a country where we boast in our failure, in our mediocrity, in our ghastly performances. I'll give you a quick example if, you, if we have the time. Sure. Got all the time. So, <laughs> so in 2002, I was invited to Uganda to hold workshops for writers in Uganda. The U.S. Embassy invited me. I arrived at night at Entebbe Airport. I got picked up by a Ugandan driver who worked for the uh, U.S. Embassy. As we drove the 40 or so miles, or 40 or so minutes into the center of Kampala where my hotel was, everywhere that I looked left and right, I saw electricity. So I said to this driver, what is the um, state of electricity, electricity supply in your country? And he said to me, bad. And I said, how bad is it? He said, very bad. I said, how often do you experience power failure? And he said, once or twice a week. Oh. And I said, for how long? He said, sometimes it's up to two hours at a time. Now, for a driver in Uganda... For the country to have power failure for two hours, up to two hours in a week, in a week, Mm. not every day, in a week, was very bad. But at any rate, I spent a week, exactly a week in Uganda. I did events in three hotels. I did, I was, there were receptions for me in three homes. Not on one occasion did I experience power failure in that week that I was there? Oh. Not on one occasion did I hear a power generator supplying power. It was all public power. That's one. The other thing that stunned me was that the writers group that I had been invited to give workshops to held a reception for me in a small house that they had bought. Um, in the course of that reception, I needed to use a restroom. But then, given that I had just flown in from Nigeria where I was teaching at the University of Lagos then as a a Fulbright lecturer, I said, "Mm, most toilets in places that I go to in Nigeria were not clean. And so you could go there and encounter a site that was really uh, very forbidden. So I said, I'm going to wait 
until I went back to my hotel uh, to, to, to use a restroom to pee. But after a while, because they kept talking and talking to me, I really was pressed. So I said, could you show me the bathroom? And they showed me. And the bath- bathroom was not, not only clean, it was spotless. And after I peed, I flushed. And, you know, I was, you know, saw that there was water. Everything worked well. So when they were driving me back to the hotel, I imagined that as happens in, happen, you know, it's the case in Nigeria, that it must be some water borehole. So I said to them, I said, the building we're coming from, I said to these writers who were driving me back to my hotel, I said, um, it's the water you use there is water borehole, right? And they couldn't understand what borehole was. <laughs> and they said, what do you mean? I said, you must have dug up, you know, a, a, hole, in the a ground. hole that supplies water. They said, no, it's public water. So I said to them, what percentage of Kampala, the city of Kampala, has access to borehole water, to, to public water? Again, they didn't understand my question. Then I, clar- you know, I clarified. I said, there must be lots of people in Kampala who don't have access to public water. They said, no, that anywhere you build a house in Kampala or in any other major Ugandan city, that there was a standard fee you had to pay to the water corporation and you were required to pay it. And once you paid it, water, public water was con- uh, immediately uh, connected to your home or office or whatever facility you have. And that stunned me. Now, these are simple things that other countries, including poor ones in Africa, take for granted. Mm-hmm. But to come to Nigeria is a totally different question. So anyway, I returned to Nigeria, and I was meeting with a group of my Nigerian friends. And I told them what my experience in Uganda had been. And one of my friends said, what are you saying? Are you comparing us to Uganda? What's their population? And I said to him, here you come again like the typical Nigerian boastful of your incompetence. I said, the question you ought to ask is, what is the resource? What is the, What are the funds that Ugandan leaders have at their disposal? A far cry from what Nigerian politicians have, and yet they've done a lot with the little they get. So, we have a country, sadly, where, as Chinu Achebe has said, we have invented the art of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. <laughs> and I have described Nigeria in my own modest way as a country conceived in hope, a country of great potential, conceived in hope, but nurtured by both its leaders and its people into a state of help, of hopelessness. Mm. And it's tragic. I mean, it's funny. Um, I, I, I don't know. Maybe because I was younger then, but I tend to remember the Babangida years and the Abacha years with less. It was t- ten times, a hundred times less than this. This is like, this is like a kangaroo, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is like just nobody. Like in those years, man. Omar Diko, I think, famously ran away for. 
Uh, well, how, how was that case again, actually? He was the contractor, I think. Well, Omar Rodiko was not a contractor. Omar Rodiko was a minister in Shagare's government. Oh, yeah. But he was the most powerful uh, minister. So, you know, so it was deemed to be corrupt. You know, it was known that if uh, you wanted a political contract, if you wanted a contract, he was the the guy who could guarantee you a contract if, uh, you, you know, if uh, you found your way to him and so on. And so after the coup, he was a target. He was particularly wanted by the Buhari Idiabo regime. But of course, it fled to London. And there, there was that uh, uh, fiasco where they, um, they had uh, injected him uh, to uh, to put him in a, in a container. All that trouble for a guy who wasn't really even stealing. Just, in, in the end, yeah. He was just he was just trying to become powerful by, like, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of like what, what happens in America, I'd say. Precisely. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a, a cruder form of it. Yeah. It's a cruder form of it because there is influence in every country, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are those who, owing to their access to political power able to make things work and to to benefit themselves financially in doing that right and some of it is part of the what oils the wheel of society and uh, if you also look in, in in a lot of places you know that is people who are able to play that middle person role who then accumulate a lot of wealth and then turn it into productive activity and then create big enterprises and so on and so forth. That's part of the history of this country. The objection in Nigeria uh, of different kinds. One is that those who accumulate that money that way illicitly in Nigeria often take the money abroad. So they never invested in Nigeria. They never create businesses. They take it abroad and they buy Rolls Royces. Uh, and they buy, so even when they bring the Rolls Royces back in Nigeria, the net effect of that Rolls Royce is for an, an economy abroad. All we, you know, the only way the money uh, has any uh, ramification in Nigeria is true that they hire, they employ one or two drivers who become poorly paid, you know. Uh, but most of that money that is generated illicitly in Nigeria is taken out of the country. Yeah. Putting in self-aggrandizing projects, you know. So somebody buys a huge mansion in the United States, in Canada, in London, where they spend at most a month in their year. So this is the most irresponsible way to waste an asset. Okay, or they go to their village, which has no water, public water, has no electricity, and they build a thirty-room mansion. Idiocy. You know, uh, just to 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 impress themselves, but also uh, part of the trouble in Nigeria is that the least qualified people are the ones who get contracts. Often, not always, but often the ones who get contracts. So that whilst in America, somebody who a contractor who has leverage could get a contract, but he in most cases, is qualified to do the job. Yeah. There, are, there are institutions that will ensure that he's done the work to specification. In Nigeria, you could have a governor award a contract, pay most of the cost of the contract up front, and it's understood by everybody, the governor, the, his commissioners, oh. the contractor, that no work is to be done. 
So the contractor takes the money, pays the governor his share, pays some other interest their share, and everybody goes up. And then the next thing is you hear, oh, this person is doing well. Again, that's a narrative that we need to interrogate in Nigeria. Often when you hear Nigerians say somebody is doing well, it doesn't say that the person has work that he does effectively, competently. It simply means that the person has accumulated a, a, it's often an obscene amount of illicit funds. Without no explanation. Yeah. But it's funny, though. I mean, like, man, most people still, like, um, you know, when you said, like, uh, um, uh, what they call him, um, Jonathan was so corrupt, inept, and all that, you know, most people felt and still feel that you were in the pocket of Buhari, and, you know, that you guys were... When I say you guys, I mean people associated you with uh, the online publications, our reporters, and they were like, oh, you know, all these guys were all, and people were writing that they bought your house and all that. So mm-hmm. even when you're like saying like, well, you know, all these things, all these guys are, are all corrupt. People are like, oh, people could be like, yeah, well, didn't y'all bring Buhari into power? Okay. Which to me is stupid, but yeah. No, uh, well, in my case, I need to to be clear. Um, Sahar Reporters um, was one of at least 20 websites that published my column. My column was written not for Sahar Reporters, not for any other website, but for the Sun newspaper. I started writing my weekly columns in 1999 after Abbasanjo came to office. The Guardian newspaper, the MD of the Guardian then, Emeka Izeze, invited me to start a weekly column for the newspaper. So I was writing that weekly column until 2006 when I had a disagreement with uh, some editors at the paper and I moved my column to the Sun newspaper. So the Sun was a newspaper that paid me to write my columns. So her reporter simply a day after would republish the same column. Oh. You understand? Yeah. And it was published by The Wheel magazine. It was published by uh, at least 20. I mean, uh, some websites will carry the column without asking my permission. Some of them, you know, so the column will come out in the sun. They will just carry it. Uh, so how reporters asked my permission to reproduce my column, but I didn't write it for them. So it was strange when I began to hear people ascribe to me support of Buhari as president. My record is clear. When Buhari was running, I, in interviews, as well as in my column, and all any listener need do, is go Google Okendibe Buhari. You'll see that I warned Nigerians that much as Jonathan has failed, and it would have been irresponsible to re-elect Jonathan, I said that Buhari will prove to be another disaster. So I wrote a column called Neither APC Nor PDP. And I said to Nigerians, let's look for a different political party. Because I, I, in another column, I said that the PDP and the APC were Siamese twins. So there was never a time I was enthusiastic about Buhari as a leader. I had, um, I had actually written after Buhari was removed in a coup d'etat by um, Babangida. Yeah. Okay. I'd written a column about how uh, atrocious the political dictator Buhari was, I'd written even in those days, right? So I gave an interview to um, to Rudolf Ocon for Dr. Damages where I said that Jonathan had failed as president 
Uh, but I, then I said that if Nigerians elected Buhari, they will wake up to find that they had elected a dad. <laughs> okay? And because of that, again, go check on the internet. Somebody wrote a column with the, something like the title, uh, The Annoying Irritation Called Okay in Debate. And they were actually accusing me of being in the pockets of uh, the PDP. Do you understand? People say that Jonathan was paying me to uh, attack the APC, but I knew. Just And again, Nigerians are saying it today, right? We now have the same political prostitutes who left the PDP and came to APC to proclaim change. We see them now running back because they've created a disaster in the APC. They've created a government that has not been able to guarantee the basic thing that governments must do, the most fundamental thing also that the governments must do, which is to guarantee the security of lives and property of its citizens. So they all own that failure. But they are running back to the PDP and a lot of Nigerians, sadly, are celebrating this. They see this as the flowering of new hope. And so some of my friends are sending me WhatsApp things. Another politician has left the APC. And I said to them, well, they never actually, um, uh, uh, there never was a difference. A lot of them, when they were in the APC, were also in the PDP. And some of them had come from the PDP. So if we make the mistake, again, of electing either the PDP or the APC, the narrative of our country is going to continue to be a narrative of despair, of, of failure, of disaster. Okay? But, so where do we go? So in 2015, 2014, 2015, mm-hmm. a lot of Nigerians had argued with me that we had no other choice besides APC and PDP which for me is an oxymoron because there's no, there's no choice. It's the same person. <laughs> you understand? It's the same person. It's just like if you have twins and both twins are known crooks, known armed robbers. <laughs> and, and, you, and then you have 10 other people you could choose from. And you say, look, the most prominent thieves we have are these, two, these twins. So it's either we choose twin A or twin B. Well, whichever one you chose, you are guaranteed a life of misery. So that's the mistake we made in 2015. By record, I agree with you. The Sahara Reporters indeed was pro-APC. But I called out the magazine, you know, the administrator of the magazine. I called him out. He's running for president now. Yeah, you know, so I I told him. I told him that that the website should not lend itself to the election of a political party that was not different. And Gwen Buhari, in fact, in another interview uh, on Ben Television in London, Lai Mohammed, who was the... um, um, publicity secretary or something of the APC uh, had flown to Ghana. He was to appear on the show alongside myself. As soon as they told him I came, and they were in touch with him by by phone, mm. they told him that I had just walked into the studio because already at that point I had a, I, I had a record of writing that the PDP that the APC's broom was not an alternative, was not a substitute for uh, articulating a program of action for your country. I said, it's stupidity 
to raise a broom and think that, yeah, you know, we're going to sweep people up, out, and people will clap for you, and you say, change. And I say, what kind of change exactly? So I came into the studio. Somehow, the moment he was told I'd come into the studio, he would not take their calls anymore. So I ended up doing the one-hour interview alone. And I stated during the program, which was anchored by Karadeo Gundamisi, and I'm sure that that program is... This was in Ghana. <laughs> this was in London. In London, oh. So, but he, um, um, uh, Lai Mohammed, had gone to Ghana to be interviewed from Ghana. I don't know if he went for that purpose or if he happened to be in Ghana and he was going to join them from Ghana. But during that interview, I'm happy that Karadeo Gundamisi is, is, is there. If the program is not online somewhere... I'm sure anybody can ask him, and he would, uh, he would uh, uh, corroborate my account. I said the same thing. I always said in my columns that the PDP and the APC were the same thing. Now, there are Nigerians who would insist that Jonathan uh, is better than Buhari. The way I look at it is this. Okay, you can make that case. Okay, you can make that case. But Why, if how? okay, no, let me let me All tell right. you how, how you can make the case, but it'd be a ridiculous case. Do you understand? Jonathan was a failed leader. Okay, right. Buhari is a failed leader. So to even begin to talk about the two of them in terms of who is better is like if I'm a teacher, if I had a student who writes an essay for me and makes. Um, 12% out of 100. That's terrible failure, right? So if there's another student who wrote the same paper and got 10%, and I start saying, oh, the student who scored 12% out of 100 is a superior student to the one who scored 10, it would be a ridiculous argument to make. What I will be saying is that both students are failures. So... Even if somebody convinces me that Jonathan was better than Buhari, okay, Jonathan was still fundamentally a failure. Buhari is fundamentally a failure, okay? Um, and we should look. What reason do a people elect a president who is in his 70s? whose certificate is in question, who um, doesn't even know the difference between that, that still things in terms of East and West Germany, uh, who would not remember the name of his own vice presidential candidate. He didn't? No. He, oh, called, he called him, uh, you know, called him something. Ooh. Yeah, at the public <laughs> for, for, forum. Yeah. Uh, um, so, listen... What we have done consistently in our country is that we take people who should not even be uh, leaders, and I don't care if they have PhDs. Some of them are PhDs, but they are, they are just as mediocre as they come. So we take people who shouldn't be president of their town associations, and we make them president of a complex entity called Nigeria. And then we're surprised when, I mean, that 50, almost 60 years after independence, every no-Nigerian leader has come up with an answer to the problem of power in our country, that we don't have electric power, 
that you can count on for even two hours. There's no place in Nigeria today, not even within Asorok, where you say that public power is guaranteed to be there for two hours every day. Do you understand? You have a country where our leaders still talk about we pay salaries as achievements and people applaud. Yeah, that's bizarre. Okay. Uh, because, of course, absurd as that is, we have states in Nigeria, we have employers in the private sector in Nigeria who don't pay their employees for 10 to 15 months at a time. Okay? So, that a friend of mine uh, says that has described Nigeria as a country where absurdity makes sense. So if you think about the most absurd idea and you say, oh, this can't happen. Well, that's the first thing that will happen in Nigeria. And somehow when that happens, you see Nigerians who will defend it. When Obasanjo was president of Nigeria, despite the fact that I was close to him at one point, he came to my traditional wedding in Lagos. Mm. But when he became president, and by the way, when Abacha locked him up, I spoke in interviews in America. I wrote for publications in this country condemning his incarceration. But once he came out and began to act in the public square, and it was clear to me that this man did not mean well for Nigeria, I began to castigate him in my columns. Okay, And then on one occasion, I was in, in Nigeria and I was invited by AIT to be interviewed on their political program uh, called Kakaki. You know, oh, that's at, tough. Yeah. It's still there. Is it? Well, it's, 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 uh, AIT is still there, oh, okay. but the man who interviewed me has long left them. So I had to leave VI, Victoria Island, to get to uh, AIT's offices past uh, Ikeja and so on toward Abiyokuta. Now, that was the same road that Obasanjo as president would have taken if he uh, arrived at the Lagos airport to go to his farm in Abiyokuta, in Alta. And so the quality of the road, the road was such a disaster. You know, it was not just potholes, it was gullies on the road. And so when I got to the studio, I said to them, is this not the road that the president, President Abbasanjo, would use to get to his home? They said, oh, no, he now flies in helicopters. So on air, I said that Abbasanjo was a failed president, and it was not that he had failed the Igbo or the Hausa. I said he'd failed the Yoruba, and I said he'd failed himself as well. Did he, did he fail himself, or was that what? Yeah, I mean, he, he failed himself, because, because if you are a president... And you have the authority to award a contract to repair a road that led to your own farm. Let's say that you're so myopic mm -hmm. that all you think is self-interest. At least think of, okay, I'm going to, in eight years, if I'm lucky, leave office. I want a good road so that I can, if I fly into Lagos, I'll find a good road to go to my farm or to my home, right? When you're president, and this is a federal road, and you have not taking care of that road, then you have failed yourself. When Nigerian leaders fail to give our country a good healthcare system, 
they fail Nigerians, but they also fail themselves. But they are so myomic, narrow-minded, that they think, well, if I become sick, I'll go abroad for treatment. They forget that sometimes they have an accident and you need to be to receive good, competent care immediately. Somebody in your family. Precisely. You or somebody, precisely. Sometimes they have a stroke. You need quick treatment. But all they tell themselves is that, oh, maybe I won't say, yeah, I go abroad. I, I'll be, I'll do, you know, physical tests and I'll tell myself that, I, you know, the doctors will find I'm living well or give me medication in case things are going wrong. But they don't think of the sudden uh, 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 things that could happen to them. Okay? So Nigerian leaders are a disaster unto themselves, which is the biggest disaster. Because let me give you an example. So I went to the Philippines. The first time I went to the Philippines with my family in 2003. I think your brother-in-law He used to live there, my brother-in-law. So one day, um, he sent his driver to you know take me on an errand somewhere. And as we were coming back, the driver took a particular road that was like four lanes in either direction. Some of the best roads that I've driven on anywhere in the world. And I was just so astonished. And I said to the driver, this road is very good. And he said to me, we call it corruption road. Uh-huh. I said, why? He said, because the government and the contractors stole a lot of money on that road. So as a Nigerian, I'm saying, I wish that Nigerian politicians will steal a lot of money with their contractor collaborators and give us a road of this quality. So the difference between Nigeria and other countries is not that there is corruption is absent anywhere in the world. There are countries that have minimal levels of corruption, but a measure of corruption, corruption mm-hmm. to one degree or another, is present in most countries. The difference is that in some places they would actually steal money and do the work. The peculiar the pathological, the cruel nature of corruption in Nigeria is that people will take money to do a project, inflate the project, pay upfront, and there's an understanding that no work is to be done. And yet they will go and write somewhere that this work is completed and it's been commissioned. Then they will pay the rest of the money. So, what it amounts to, therefore, is that we have a political elite as well as an intellectual elite that is so, so despises its people that it will serve its people the worst fate consistently, but also its self-loathing, self-hating. Because if you like yourself, in Nigeria, you find Rolls Royces, you find Bentleys, you find you find the, the most expensive cars in the world. Everywhere. The well, same people who are stealing money to buy all these cars, they are either in government or they have collaborators in government. They won't even say, let's build good roads so that we can enjoy our cars. Okay? So they leave the roads as they are. So you have a Rolls Royce getting into gullies on the road and his bottom will be scraping against the, the tar. That's sickness. That is actually insanity. And that's what we have. We are, we are a country run by insane people. And too many of us, 
too many Nigerians, sadly, in defending that insanity in the name sometimes of religion. The man who is there is from my same religion. Or in the name of ethnicity. Or I'm Igbo. It's an Igbo man who is minister. It's an Igbo yeah. man who is... Uh, like that does anything. That, uh-huh. uh, uh, you know, I'm an Alsa. Or he's from my state. We invent excuses to apologize, to defend the indefensible. But wait, you know, I, I, I just feel, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, right, you know, but I, it's also, it's also like Nigerians don't, I'll use the word nuance, don't see nuance in, in debate, discussion, mm-hmm. or, you know, mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. So, once you come up and you say, hey, this, 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 you know, people feel you're either for or against. Yeah. Like, there's not supposed to be any middle ground. And if you are proposing the middle ground, as long as it doesn't currently exist, mm-hmm. it doesn't exist. Yeah. Like, if you're saying something like, because you were saying like, hey, man, you, you, you said both parties were... Were wrong they, for, for Nigeria. And people are, are, are looking at it. People might, people will be like, yo, this guy is bailing out. Yes. He, he knows it's going to be one of the two. Precisely. So he's bailing, like, you yeah. know, there's no... Yeah. There's no that nuance, that yeah. that flavor of saying, hey, not flavor the musician, just regular flavor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just saying, yeah. hey, man, it doesn't have to be this mm-hmm. way. Even, mm-hmm. it, I'm not dreaming of a city on top of a shiny hill. Yeah. Like, in today's reality mm-hmm. and what we have presently, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be this way. It could be some of our, I think people have been robbed of that. Mm-hmm. Will I say vision or you yeah? Know, just like you said, they, 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 they um, you know, it, it's important. In fact, you just reminded me of a point that I was uh, was trying to make, right? Yeah. So when I said that the PDP and the, and the APC were Siamese twins and we should reject them. Some of my friends called me and accused me of idealism and said, oh, you have to be real, okay? And their argument was that the only two parties that could uh, win the election were the PDP and the APC. And so they challenged me to decide of the two parties which one I was going to support. And my answer remained neither. And I said to them, we have the experience of other countries where unlikely candidates, starting from marginal parties, but representing true vision, representing um, a clarity of ideas, were embraced by the elite of the country, which then did the work to make them front runners. But the typical Nigerian elite is one of the most lazy beings that you are ever going to encounter. Because what we want to do, right? We want to retire every evening after work mm-hmm. to a joint where yeah. we'll have nice pepper soup <laughs> and chilled beer. And, you know, we'll be picking at our teeth. And we'll say, uh, an old man like Buhari is going to solve our problems, right? Or, as they're saying now, yeah, Basanjo is now arranging another opposition. He's going to solve it, right? Uh, yeah. Without understanding that Babangida doesn't, I mean, uh, Buhari, sorry, does not even begin to have a vision of society. Nigeria is like 500 years behind where it should be. Do you understand? Buhari's idea 
of progress if, is if he had money and built uh, 300 kilometers of roads. He would say, I have achieved something. But we all know that, in fact, if a goat were president of any country, that the goat should be able to guarantee the country has a front, that 300 kilometers of roads, uh, miles of roads be tired. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. So please don't tell me that a man who builds roads has achieved something. Don't tell me that somebody who has paid salaries has achieved something. Okay? How about transforming your country, giving your country a healthcare system, funding and transforming the educational system so that the products of the schools actually have real learning, become problem solvers, because that's what education does for you, is that it equips you for understanding and tackling problems. But in Nigeria, we we don't even we haven't even given people the tools to think, much less the tools to discover solutions to their problems. Okay? So we don't have an educational system worthy of the name. We don't have a healthcare system or as I tell people we have two healthcare systems. Mm-hmm. If you have access to public funds or access to wealth, you fly abroad for treatment. If you are poor and therefore have no access, you go to a pastor and or a mom and you hope for miracles until you die. Because, you know, uh, these miracles hardly come, right? Yeah. So we have no healthcare system. We have no educational system worthy of the name. Our infrastructure is in disrepair. Okay? Even roads. I traveled uh, in May and June in true Nigeria. Okay. And Molesha uh, Inka and I went by road from uh, Nsoka, from Enugu to Nsoka, and then Nsoka to Makade and back to Enugu. The quality of the federal road to Makade, the people who should superintend those roads should be lined up and shot. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. The, the road doesn't exist in a lot of places. So you say 60 years after independence, we haven't got our roads down. Okay? Places like the, uh, like the Philippines have traveled for hundreds of miles in the Philippines. You don't see bad roads. You go to Ghana. My wife was just in Ghana. Much better roads in Ghana. I went to Uganda, as I said. Electricity was near constant. Water runs, public water, not borehole water, runs everywhere. Okay? We haven't even achieved these things, which are basic things to start with. So, what we have as I tell Nigerians, is that you, we must make a choice. No, the PDP and the APC will be the two contending forces in next year's elections. Mm-hmm. The only thing that will change it is, is if people like me and people like you and other enlightened Nigerians say, hell no, because we do have, it's not me, I don't have the temperament to be a leader. I have the temperament to be a writer and a teacher. Those are the things that I do. Now, but we do have educated, enlightened, visionary Nigerians who are available there and who have aspirations to be leaders, yeah. not rulers, leaders. But often we look at them and we say, oh, they don't have what it takes. And when you ask what does it take, is that they have not stolen money and therefore they don't have the money <laughs> to bribe people. But if we take ourselves seriously, if we decide not to go to pepper soup joints and wallow in 
in, in idiocy as our country burns. Mm-hmm. Every Nigerian who has an income, guess what, has lots of Nigerians that you support. Okay? So my wife and I support my mother, okay, and a few other relatives. So if I call them and I said, there is Remy Sonaya. She is a candidate who will transform Nigeria. Please vote for her. They will listen to me. If you call the people that you help or the people who, the, who take you seriously and you say, look, forget the PDP and the APC. These people have the same agenda. They want to, they want to eat this country to its death. This is a person who has a program. Guess what? Before you know it, we can talk. I, can, I, I have a circle of 10 to 20 people who take me seriously, who will listen to what I say, and perhaps half or more of them will do what I propose, right? Yeah. But awesome. we don't want to do this. So we say, we throw our hands up, I'm going to you know, eat pepper soup and drink my beer, is, is uh, PDP or APC? Or then we say in our cynicism, oh, you know, there's nothing that can be done. It's going to be, we shut up every party. And we reproduce the result that we work for. So Nigeria is as bad as it is, precisely because the country is the one we have worked for. One more uh, point that I'd like to make. Yeah. To argue politics in Nigeria or any public issue is one of the most exasperating <laughs> exercises for me. To argue, to argue people in Nigeria is yes. exasperating. Be, be, you know Anything. what? Yeah, because they have yeah. come up with things that are non-secutors, things that are absolutely irrelevant to the argument. Mm-hmm. But they think that that's, irrelev- that's relevant. So when I wrote my column... That's a justification when, for anybody. Yeah, when I wrote my column... One, one week, I would criticize a corrupt Yoruba politician. My Igbo friends would write to me and praise me. Ah, okay, we like this column. Ah, you finished the The next week, I will write against a corrupt Igbo politician. Some Igbo people will write, Efule, you are an idiot. You are attacking your own brother. Imagine. And I say to them, we must write out of principle. My principle is that I'm opposed to corruption. If it is somebody from my hometown who is corrupt, the person should expect to hear from me. If it is uh, a, a house of Fulani who is corrupt, they will expect to hear from me. But we have adopted a kind of contingent attitude to corruption. So if you hear, ah, somebody stole money at the NMPC, it's as if Nigerians will say, okay, I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to be outraged until I hear the ethnicity or the religion or the state of origin of the person who stole money. So suddenly <laughs> it comes out that, oh, it's somebody from Taraba State or somebody from Kanu State. And then suddenly his people, what I'm quote his people, people he doesn't know, we'll start and people up. he would not give a dime to if they saw him by the street, yep. suddenly will get up and say, hey, is he the first person who stole? Mm-hmm. Have other people not been? So we start inventing excuses. It's an attack uh, on, 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 their, on their ethnic group. Uh, precise, uh, because it's they are the thief. Precise. Congratulations. And so, and so, so what I, I tell people is that you can never steal in my name. Okay? You can never steal in my name. And I also tell people that my ethnicity, you know, I'm Igbo by birth. By, but those that I consider to belong to my ethnic group, 
properly speaking, are those who share my values. So I call it the ethnicity of values. So if you're an Igbo man and you're a thief, get out of my face, my friend. You know, get out of my face. Uh, you know, it's just like when I was teaching at Unilag. Okay? A young Igbo man came to me one day. You know, he was uh, an evening student. Yeah. So I came to teach and he said, Ah, oh, prof, uh, there's somebody who is owing me and I've been looking for him and we couldn't find him. But my boys who do, you know, uh, who do business for me just told me that they caught him and they've uh, put him in a police station. So he said, let him leave class to go and talk to the police to ensure that the police will hold him. So I said to him, my job here is to teach you. So if you're asking my permission, I can't give it. I want you to be in class. He said, ah, prof. Uh, here you are from Anambra State. I say yes. He said, ah, you are a boss. Let me go. I said, let's be clear. I'm not giving you permission to leave my class today in order to go and hold somebody who uh, is owing you money. I said, but you're also free to make your choice. Then the day I gave exams, the same guy came to me and said, ah, boss, you remember the day I told you that I didn't know you were from the same state? I said, yes. Ah, that you are boss. I said, ah, so boss, what are we going to do about the exam? I said, did you sit the exam? He said, yes. I said, good. I'm going to grade you and give you the grade that you've earned. <laughs> he said, ah, bros, you know, let's talk as bros concerned. <laughs> I said, yes. He said, ah, hey, as bros, what are we going to do? I said, did you not take the exam? He said, he took it. I said, it's all right. I'll give you the grade you earned. He said, ah, but as bros. So I exploded on him. I said, look, the fact that you and I come from the same state is not a criterion that one considers in grading papers. Okay? So I said, in fact, I'm ashamed of you because if we came to, from the same state and you wanted to do well in my exam, you would have stayed in class rather than run off to go and catch somebody who was owing you money. At any rate, you should have come to my office to say to me, there are things I don't understand. Could you explain those things to me? So, but the whole idea that somebody thinks that we're from the same state and that should entitle him to some extra marks in the exam. Absurd as it is, is not altogether different from the attitude that a lot of Nigerians have. So a lot of Nigerians feel if somebody is Igbo, if somebody is Christian, if somebody is from Anambra State, if somebody is from your local government area, from your town, and they are corrupt, you have a moral obligation to avert your gaze and to look to people who are Muslim, people who are from other ethnicities, people who are from other states who are corrupt. Until we equalize our vision, until we begin to look at issues through principled lens, our journey to nationhood will continue to be futile. Mm. Well, it, I mean, that's easier said than done, though, pretty much. Like, it's cool. It's cool teaching. Let's say you're teaching right now. Yeah. Pontificating. Mm -hmm. Whatever word uh, we might come up with. Yeah, professorial, you know, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's easier to say that, but man, like, Nigeria is like a ship that is sailing to. to Nigeria is a ship that should be sailing to, like, Australia. Mm -hmm. right? It's right now somewhere in. Alaska, man. Yes. It, it, it's, in fact, at this point in time, it's about to find a black hole mm -hmm. and go to the corner, mm -hmm. maybe, you know, mm -hmm. they'll find the Bermuda Triangle and 
you know, it's easier to say. It's just like it seems impossible. I'm not saying it is. Because I'm not talking about mm-hmm. nuanced arguments mm-hmm. or discussion. Yeah, Nigerians mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it. It's just that it's so far away. It seems seems like, man, this is a mirage. Man. This mm-hmm. is just going to happen. Like, you know, it's good that people will probably insult Jonathan for a long time for not rigging the elections. Mm-hmm. President Jonathan, you know, mm-hmm. he didn't. He didn't uh, do what most African leaders did, and in, mm-hmm. in in leaving the stage, the way he did, mm-hmm. he, uh, you know, matter how much he hated me, and he earned anybody's respect. Mm-hmm. If you understand the way things have been going in our, in in West Africa for a long time, he, mm-hmm. to me, he should ordinarily the way he left, you know, no arguments, no fights, no, yeah, you know, just like yo. It's one country, one love, I'm out. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. people don't like him. People have all kinds of, yeah, he was for me a smaller tribe. That's why he couldn't stay. Whatever. He left in peace, too. He could have chosen the other way. But, you know, looking at it now, okay, the next step is this election. So, more looking at it, you have a whole bunch of candidates, which is, which to me, is cool. Yeah, I live in America, whatever. It's, it's cool. I see a whole bunch of guys like, hey, man, you know, want to, some people want to just run to uplift the level of discourse mm-hmm. you have with, because I mean you have like a tickle running mm-hmm. you have, I mean full disclosure man tickle used to be my dad's immediate boss back in the 80s mm-hmm. so my father was like 50 years old when he gave birth to me mm-hmm. you know um, but yeah man these are guys that have been there for forever and ever and from the 80s till now like it's, it's like being in the UK and you feel, you see people who were in Margaret Thatcher's government trying to be mm-hmm. prime minister and I was like mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean the thought of it's like a joke like uh, mm-hmm. you know seeing people who used to roam around with with, with Jimmy Carter then um, or Ronald Reagan trying to be president or trying to still be serious politi- I mean mm-hmm. at this point in time man you know people are happy to call you elder statesman and respect mm-hmm. you and all that but at this point in time like Running a government is, shouldn't be your thing. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, at the, when you get to, you know, when you get to a certain time in your 70s, running something like that mm-hmm. shouldn't be, you should go to the next. So, for in Nigeria, you see all the same guys. You see Bahari, you see Atiku, you see all these guys. And it seems like one of them might win. But you also do see a lot of people, a lot of people coming up, like looking from afar. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad, mm-hmm. and you you factor in the PVC thing. Although people are now like, well, the last election, my mom's like, well, we saw one result, and then they changed it. That was there was an election, I think two weeks ago in July. Or so, uh, you know, don't quote me, but sometime in July there was a like a, a governorship elections in 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 Nigeria, and, and from the from was what people the one said, in Ekiti State, Ekiti, from what people mm-hmm. said, mm-hmm. I wasn't on ground. Mm-hmm. I did not report. I did not cover it. <laughs> I just, I just read the reports, mm-hmm. and you know, you could put your own two cents. You could, you know, put your own two cents. That you could read the same reports I read from different people that were on ground and reported. They, mm-hmm. they said, and even those that I spoke with said, well, you know, they, they saw one result, and all of a sudden, when the result was declared, um, it was something different. Even the chat groups I'm in. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if the PVC thing, but if the PVC thing works, like that, the PVC is the. Um, is the uh, I don't know if they're even the full name of the PC. permanent voters card. Permanent, oh yeah, permanent voters card. I don't even know. Um, 
So the PVC thing is the permanent voter's card, which is supposed to be like a chip card and all that stuff, which is fine. I wish America would adopt it, to be mm-hmm. honest, personally. A lot, a lot, I think if, if America itself adopted a more electronic style of, of voting, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the heated discussions will come down. People will now start trying to win hearts and minds other than demonize people because, mm-hmm. you know, in America, hey, I'm, I'm saying this just to tell you that everywhere has its problems, but people eventually tend to get past them. America could have voting via app. Mm-hmm. And everything nice via app. I mean, we, we get paid money, do all that stuff mm-hmm. via app. Um, you know, everybody uses app, computer, stuff like that. If America could do voting like that via computers or, you know, you, you do, you know, there might need to be some, man, if you, you can have 60, 70% voter, a lot of the discourse you have will calm down. People will talk more policy. Mm-hmm. And similar to Nigeria, if Nigeria could very, you know, stick, it, ensure that the PVC thing counts. Mm-hmm. I think the level of, I think it would be a big deal. I think it would be a big deal. No question. I mean, uh, the PVC was used in the 2015 elections. Mm-hmm. But um, part of the problem uh, in Nigeria is that we, ha- it, we don't have institutions that have internal integrity, institutions that uh, are demonstrably independent, okay? Um, And we don't have the fear of being caught at a criminality. So because you can have the PVC, have it rule out um, a certain result, but if... Um, the military or the intelligence agents who are there decide to rig an election. They could always orchestrate something that undermines the result given by the PVC. And they do this um, because there is no... uh, First of all, there's a lot of uh, chiefs, the leaders of these organizations, whether it's the military, the police, and so on, or they feel they feel they owe their loyalty to the president, not to the country. Okay, and they are hugely financially rewarded for their acts of treachery. And we don't have a country where somebody is put to shame, where some where nobody would would associate with you because you've been known to eng- to be engaged in... How to celebrate you. Yeah, precisely. So you'll be celebrated uh, and so on and so forth. So we can have the most astute technology out there until we choose to begin to um, use uh, the technology in a way in a way that is that has integrity, we can always intervene to undermine, uh, 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 you know, um, to undermine technology. And technology. That's one thing about technology is that it doesn't have the capacity to rise and 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 protest. You know, so if a group of officials are bribed and they they agree to. Um, to falsify results, guess what? 
they can do that and get away with it. But it is, again, Nigerians who allow this. But, you know, again, we talk about the problems of um, electoral integrity. There's also the question, which I was just talking about with a friend the other day, that our so-called democracy is simply unaffordable. Okay? Uh, What our, our political officials get paid from legislators at state level through the president. What they take away uh, is just too much of the country's resources that there is no way that can be sustained. In a country where we pay a mi- the minimum wage is 18,000 naira. Okay? Yeah. Now, 18,000 naira... Um, That's per month. Per month. 18,000 naira is the equivalent of maybe $75. Dollars. Probably less than that, but yeah, see? somewhere around that. So, so, and these are a lot of people who are earning that, taking that home, have families, they have to pay rent, they have to go, they have transport, they have to clothe themselves, they have to do health care with that money. And yet, you see what legislators have given themselves in uh, clothing allowance, in constituency allowance, which they don't account to anybody for, or what the governors take in terms of their salary, in terms of security vote, and so on. It's just, you know, there's no way we can sustain it. So at the very least, we should be holding the conversation, which is one place where labor unions should insist and bring the country to a halt, if that it need be. They should insist on an overhaul of compensation, drastic overhaul of compensation for our political leaders. It's either we altogether um, um, remove the Senate, that is, it, it serves no purpose, and leave only the House, reduce the number of, of, of people who come from each state to the House, and then reduce their pay dramatically so that they get paid only sitting allowance, which happens in the state of Connecticut, which is where I reside. Which is cool. There is no salary for legisl- legislators, cool. right? Yeah, go so, get a job. Man. So people have jobs. People yeah. are doctors and they are lawyers yeah, and they are job. civil servants. So when it's time to vote on a bill, you come and sit and you get an allowance. That's how it should okay? be. And when you do that, then what happens is that those who enter politics for money in Nigeria will see that there is no money to be made. So they will face their business or then go into poverty. And those who have vision will come up because for them it will be the transformation of society that is the goal, not the end of... The trouble is how do they get, how do we or they they choose to exclude us? Mm. And that which is kind of stupid. I don't... But how do we, how does Nigeria get from point A to point B? Mm-hmm. How does it get from where it is mm-hmm. to where it should be? That's that's always big. That's like a, it's always a question. Like, so to me, I mean, I haven't experienced Nigeria. I haven't gone back there to work. Um, it's, it's always just like these people invent, resist, um, it's like that that twenty five year old girl who still holds on to her imaginary friends. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, mm-hmm. you know. You're looking at this person. They're like, damn. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and they are holding on to all these things because, oh, just like you said, it's my tribe. Maybe one day I'll get there when I get there. No, but like, you know, one of my, one of the favorite people I love watching in Nigeria is, is Dino Melaya. Mm-hmm. I, I just, the guy is hilarious. I mean, you, you can have all your views on this dude. This dude is, he is, he is funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's funny. I, I yeah. love watching his videos. I love, mm-hmm. oh, one video he came out and said, oh, there was the rumor they went to investigate him. They said, well, you, you, didn't invest, you don't investigate people when they are poor. Yeah. Why should you investigate people when they are rich? Like, yeah. it's so funny. Did they, did they investigate the cause of poverty in our country? <laughs> exactly. Then you want to investigate the cause of poverty. You know, funny. So, so he's, he's funny, but I think that his degree of funniness is, is really deeply sad. Because, because that is somebody who whose calling should be a, uh, as a comedian. I think. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 you know, so that, that, that's the truth. So as a leader, that this is a quality of argument he's bringing to the table, right? Um, uh, you don't investigate people's poverty. So as a legislator, yeah. has he initiated anything to investigate the cause or the causes of poverty in Nigeria? Why are the vast majority of Nigerians wretched. Why are they so destitute? Has he done that? But, you know, so he comes up with these quips, these clever, comedic uh, utterances, and uh, they will be very funny if they were not really sad because what it reminds me is that this is one of the most prominent voices in our National Assembly, and this is a quality of of his mind, sure. you know. So as I said again, sure. I'll, I'll be impressed if he said, "Look, the level of poverty in this country is unconscionable. I want to start, uh, you know, ask a committee of which I mean, that he belongs to to begin to scrutinize uh, to in- inquire into that question: Why are Nigerians so destitute?" You know, but when he's dancing and he's flaunting his, his cars, shows that flaunts uh, the house, and he's uh, you know, so you know, flaunts so, the cars. So for me, it looks like he's actually mocking uh, <laughs> yeah, the, I, the, the, the 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 wretched people of Nigeria. I, you I know, feel, which, I feel like, like I said, I remember in nineties, you know, you know, my dad worked in Nigeria, obviously, you know, worked for the government. You know, I remember people. Anybody that had not even corruption, no, mm-hmm. people were so scared. And I'm talking about my father was actually a high mm-hmm. level mm-hmm. person. You know, people were so scared to do things, mm-hmm. and it's not like some people didn't do, mm-hmm. but they were so frightened to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Now, most people that did, in fact, I tell I tell people that look, the history of the Nigerian prince is not fake. Mm-hmm. Most of them are not princes. Don't get it wrong, mm-hmm. but the history of the Nigerian prince is that somewhere in the 90s, people started. Um, Stealing money. Yes. You know, IBB time, this, then. And most of them couldn't spend the money in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. They couldn't They couldn't leave any difference. They couldn't do anything different. <laughs> that's, that's right. So a lot of them actually had lived out, lived in, in America, North America, in, in, the, in Europe, in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. They had lived there while doing studies or graduate studies or something. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them actually took that money and put there. And along the line, because of course life expectancy is not... Long for a lot, mm-hmm. of, a lot of them died. Mm-hmm. A lot of them were older. A lot of them were killed, assassinated, 
a lot of them were victims. Some some of them was a few of them were victims of the environment. They mm-hmm. they forgot they were they were helping to propagate. That's right. So you know, like a Ige, you know, mm-hmm. all due respect to the man. That's uh, you know, God rest his soul. Whatever you want to put there, I'm not trying to cast any aspersions on the guy. But you know, me a part of if tomorrow, um, Amrabas break into a passenger's house and and do him evil, kill him or whatever they do. You know, it'd be sad, I guess. Some people would be sad. Hmm. But hey, probably, yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. You know, but at the end of the day, a lot of people are going to be like, well, that's the environment you help foster. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't, we, if we don't mm-hmm. catch your thieves, mm-hmm. if we don't know what happened, yeah. we don't care. Yeah. If like in Bolaige's case, mm-hmm. seven out of your eight security men all went for lunch or, or right. all of them went for dinner. Yeah, the yes. and, and these were people he was feeding in his house. So yeah, you see all, that it was all orchestrated. They all went for dinner and then, you know, nobody knows. And then people are, and, and what, you know, maybe the wife is still alive. I don't know. The kids probably mm-hmm. should be alive. But, it's not not impersonal. It's just when you take part in that you know, at a certain level, and it comes back, there's you, you should expect sympathy. It's just that simple. Hmm. Um, well, I, I actually, you know, I mean, uh, I have a different read. Uh, you know, Bolaige was a man that I I respected. Um, I do. He was he was an intellectual and uh, and um, enjoyed the company of intellectuals. Uh, he was a governor. And um, accomplished. I, 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 yeah, accomplished governor. I, I, you know, I don't think he came out and people said he stole funds. He didn't. Um, well, well, I, I don't and, know. And so, and so he served in Abbasanjo's government. That was the problem. And he, yeah, but I guess he, yeah, you know, we again, my temperament is that I can't serve in public in 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 government. Okay, so, but I don't blame people because in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like again the debate that is happening in this country. Should people serve in the Trump administration? But, but here's you know? the key. Here's so, the key. so Abbasanjo, Abbasanjo was a man that I had and have great contempt for. Um, but it was important that some good men worked in his administration. Perhaps True. they tempered some of the evil that he was bound, to do. Uh, uh, you know, determined to do. And uh, perhaps Bolaige became a victim of, of some of that. So I am actually, it's one of those moments that disturbed me, including the murder, the assassination of Deligiwa, that, um, you know, those uh, murders like that, like uh, Harry Marshall and, uh, um, and so on and so forth, have not been solved. Yes, you sir. know, um, And they have not been solved, I think, because uh, the people who killed them um, were high, you know, the instructions were given at the very highest levels. And so Probably. there was uh, the Probably. investment of the state in covering up. All right. But I mean, maybe, maybe, but like, yeah, I'll say this, man. Looking at it, you know, um, I'm just saying what I see. Mm-hmm. Anybody can go out there and say whatever the hell they want. I don't care. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying what I see, period. Um, but like, he was a good, 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 good guy. He had. A lot of accomplishments. It was a very accomplished individual mm-hmm. as a person. You know, he was very accomplished. Probably in his family life as well. I don't know too much about. But he, he was. He seemed to be have been an all around accomplished guy. He seemed to have joined the Boston just government for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. It just seemed that at the point he was assassinated, um, Boston Joe himself came into government seeming to have the right attitude himself. So it's no knock on Bolaige, man. He, he didn't join it with bad intentions himself. So nobody should get me wrong. You know, it just seemed like Obasanjo 
kind of got there, came out of prison. I remember um, him being broke. People say the stories. I remember his children that used to know being dead broke, couldn't even go to his inauguration. They were looking for funds to get there. I remember, personally remember. And, you know, it seemed like he got there with all that bravado. And, you know, I remember, I was like, damn, you know, I was so proud. I was, I was, I was even old enough to vote there. And I was so proud. I was like, yes, Nigeria finally has a government. You know, and Nigeria finally has. And, and I'm, you know, finally, I, I don't have to have anything to do with going to America or, or Europe. Or, that was my expectation at that point in time. And uh, it seemed like he came with the bravado. And then it wasn't even up to a year. Start, starting to see that something might not be right here. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, my point is Ebola again was part of fostering the environment of something not being right up until because, you know, if I I always hate to delve into it because he always seemed like that guy that had that impeccable. It always seemed like when they talked about um what was it before the nineties, they used to have um Alliance for Democracy, I think. Mm-hmm. Before the nineties, before Tinubu came and hijacked all mm-hmm. those things, mm-hmm. it always seemed like Bolaige was the guy they were waiting for to speak. You know, it was that guy. Once he spoke, you know, and, and maybe those were the guys that killed him. So once they killed him, they had their way to talk. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it always seemed like Bolaige was that voice they were waiting for. Mm-hmm. There was um, Falai who ran to or passenger. There was um, you know Falai was there. He was respected as a smart dude. Um, I think he went to Yale for his graduate studies or something. I can't remember what it was. Uh, Yale is Ivy League, and obviously, you know, Nigerians tend to know. Oh, it's Ivy League. Oh, yeah, you know. Anyway, I think he went to Yale. He had the, he had a company, biscuit company, um, um, confectionery's company called Yale in Nigeria. Then mm-hmm. Yale goes to him and get your rights back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> something I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, that was a respected dude. But Bolaige was just that dude. He was just that guy that you know. The Anfeni Fair people. Yeah, I got out to the against people joining in Anfeni Fair or Ohanese or Ariwayuts mm. or whatever association you want to do. As far as it's productive, mm. I've got zero, <laughs> zero, anything against it. Mm. It was always that dude. So maybe those guys killed him. Mm. Um, what I don't know well, is if, if, yeah. if, if, his timeline in the, in the mm-hmm. government mm-hmm. if he was part of because Obasanjo took Nigeria from people hiding money that's the point I'm trying to make people hiding what they were doing mm-hmm. people creating the Nigerian prince mm-hmm. inadvertently because mm-hmm. even when I was like the 90s I remember people telling me to get them phone books from America mm-hmm. what, what do you do with the phone books oh, yeah, don't worry just get me the phone book mm-hmm. they get the phone books they get your address they'll send you a letter and tell you about you know how they were prints and this, this predates the explosion of the internet. That's what I'm trying to, mm-hmm. the point I'm trying to make. Mm-hmm. Or people call you, yeah. you know, and, you know, people were hiding that money. And that was the, that, that was the, or because people now realize that, damn, some people started using that because a lot of these guys see some guy from Africa walk into a bank and it's not a guy you know. Mm. You know, you, it's, it's not, no, no, there was no Google then. It's going to just mm-hmm. GTS. Mm-hmm. You could just Google it then. <laughs> But it wasn't, you know, people would try to find out it wasn't, but there were a bunch of these dudes walking into banks with cash mm-hmm. and stashing it. And not just from Nigeria, and a whole bunch of these guys were doing that. And um, that's, that was how they, when they, I'm not even stealing money. When they acquired money, they shouldn't have acquired. So for most of the time, it was just 
inflating something. It was something minor. Mm. Basinger went from it being something minor to just being like your security vote, man. You know, mm. do what you want. Just the, the funds, the, the funds of the state belongs to the government. Mm. He can do as he pleases. That was a Basinger. I think actually that what a Basinger did that was uh, for me particularly. Uh, ob- objectionable and appalling was in empowering uh, rogue elements within society, the so-called political godfather. Yeah. That you had um, a young man in Anambra State strutting the stage, uh, proclaim- proclaiming himself the political godfather and was able to m- mobilize the police to abduct a governor uh, albeit a governor who was reading, he, he was able to hijack the security apparatus of the of state and put it under his command precisely and use Oof. it to to go and remove forcibly a governor. Uh, again, I have to underscore that this is a governor who had been rigged in by this political godfather and the PDP. And again, Abbasanja empowered another political godfather in our your state. You know who felt that the governor should be sharing the security vote with him, and the governor wasn't. And on one occasion, the police uh, were mobilized and they went in into government house and began to shoot. And the governor had to plan a very hasty escape. And the fact that. Abbasan Jordan, you know, shortly after will be seen fraternizing with the elements who did this, showed that he was indeed sponsoring them. He was empowering them uh, to carry out their impunity. Uh, the fact that there was a man who walked around uh, whose business, business card simply said, friend of the president, <laughs> and that he could get any contract in What's any that? state. Andy, Andy Ubat, no. No, oh, Fasha no. way. You know, Tumba Fasha. Oh, Tumba Fasha, yeah. Yeah, you know, was so powerful and, uh, you know, had a business card that simply, uh, it was uh, Tumba Fasha, a friend of the president, you know. And and so it is the fact that Obasanjo came out of jail. Abacha apparently had had intended to kill him, uh, the way that a lot of people believe that Abacha killed Yaradua. But perhaps. Abacha felt more afraid of Yaradua, so he eliminated him first. And had Abacha not died, perhaps Obasanjo would not have come up, come out alive. The fact that Obasanjo came out alive was adopted by the military hierarchy as their candidate to run, and then that he won, or that they rigged it for him, who knows. And that he didn't have a sense of history. He didn't have a sense of destiny that he could have easily perished under Abacha's uh, watch. And he bega- began to perpetuate uh, some of the same policies as Abacha. Okay? Lawlessness, uh, great um, uh, undermining of the legislative arm of government and of the judiciary, ignoring judicial. Uh, verdicts that did not favor him, procuring through intimidation or perhaps by uh, bribery uh, judicial verdicts. And some of those judges who became 
lend themselves to such verdicts later were fired by the National Judicial Council. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that Obasanjo, as an imperial president, because his presidency was an imperial one, mm-hmm. had the um, uh, wherewithal to empower a lot of young people to become governors, to become senators, to become members of the House, to become ministers. And most of those he chose were reprobate uh, elements. Um, the fact that under his watch, so many people were assassinated, that under his watch, um, uh, we witnessed the massacres in Odi, in Bayelsa State, and Zaki Biam in Benue State. And yeah. our people tend to forget these things, you know. Uh, it's as if when a person just speaks now and criticizes whether it was Yaradua or Jonathan or Buhari, Nigerians celebrate, you know. Uh, and these people deserve criticism, but I think that there is a hypocritical quality to Obasanjo's stance and utterances in Nigeria. And he, he you know, Nigerians ought to say to him to, to him to go to hell, even if he's saying things that we agree with, because it's not as if there are no other people saying it, it's, and it's not as if... Uh, if he went there saying those things, that those things couldn't be said. So the fact that he's trying to hijack the so-called third way in Nigeria today and trying to make himself sort of the, the, um, the galvanizing agent in, uh, in, in the opposition to Buhari's government. Uh, and, and there's no question in my mind that Buhari should not be re-elected. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, you know, again, I hope that Nigerians will get it right and think outside of the box and work to achieve a third way that is viable and visionary and legitimate, not Obasanjo's I mean, idea. Idea of I'll go for way. that. But yeah. you know, when people hear Buhari should not be elected, I'm guessing in Nigeria. I wouldn't lie. I haven't been to Nigeria in a while. Um, I'm guessing in Nigeria people are hearing PDP should be elected. Because like, like like I said, Nigerians, a lot of Nigerians, let's put it this way, mm-hmm. don't see the nuance and the discussion or debate. Like, oh, I'm not saying, you know, like I, I guess that's why I was trying to clarify the Bolaige thing. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody should. I need to um, remember the timelines. But anyway, when you say, hey, oh, Nigerians should not elect Buhari, re-elect Buhari, all they are hearing is Nigeria should elect PDP. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's that's why I take care to also spell out that if we re- reject Buhari, which we should, and we elect uh, a PDP president, we're going back to where we started. Just like I warned in 2015, that if we rejected the PDP, but hired the APC, which is the same as the PDP, you know, we have made, we, we, we are basically... Uh, like uh, people who have gone from one point and circled around and come to where we started and told ourselves that we uh, were moving forward. Yeah. Well, it just seems like it's, no, it seems, <laughs> yeah, it just seems like, um, you know, circular. I mean, I hope it changes. Personally, I hope it changes. Uh, yeah, man. It's not going to change unless we work for it. Yes. And no. in Nigeria, <laughs> we we sadly have this predilection for saying that uh, God will solve our problems. Which is sad. No, God is busy. 
and God is too busy and God has given us too much we actually even if God intervened physically yeah. in the lives of people not in Nigeria because he's given us so much in terms of uh, material resources so much in terms of human intelligence but what we've done is that we spurned our human intelligence and we have actually allowed a few of our worst elements to hijack our material resources and then when you point out that there is no power that our roads are bad that we have no health care we say ah, god will solve our problems no we have no claim uh to uh disturbing god yeah nigerians don't understand once you say that that means you are not you are a devil yeah once precisely. you say yes once you say no, there's no, there's no God in this situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah, I, I, I tell them, you know, I, I say to them, have you ever seen God come down from the sky or wherever God lives and sweep the streets? Have you ever seen God come and uh, carry equipment into a hospital? I said, look, we have to insist that our political leaders give us health care. Okay, you have a country like China, which is officially uh, a secular atheistic state. That's cool. Okay, as a rule, China as a country doesn't believe in God. Cool. And they are thriving, and a lot of African countries are depending on them. You see some of the wealthiest people in the world. They're not people of 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 yeah. of of of, uh, of faith. I mean, some of them are. And I'm a person of faith, so I don't... Of, I all the, of all the wealthiest people, yeah. who is a person of faith? Yeah, but uh, you know, so I'm, I'm, I, you know, I, I mean, they, I, most of I, them believe in something. But uh, yeah, they I. Don't, they don't. They don't go. They don't but, go there. They go there like that, once a year. Yeah, you know, but, but the point though is that we must, even as people of faith, proclaim that God has given us the intelligence, the ingenuity, the genius to solve problems. So you know, so the other day, I, somebody sent me a video of of a place where torrential rain was wrecking a road and you know you could see in the video that the road is splitting into two being riven into two by the flood okay and there is a person who was trying to escape with a car and they you know they you know part of the road caved in and the car fell in and people are saying Jesus, Jesus, and they say in elsewhere in the world, people will call nine one one. There are people who are paid yep. to help people in in in, in cases that's, of emergency. That's what but, they do. But because we have not planned anything in our society, there's no plan <laughs> in America, in 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 the Philippines, uh, you know, elsewhere in the world. When there is an earthquake in Japan, there is a plan. People have done drills. Yep. If there's an earthquake of a certain category. And there is a sudden level of devastation. What is going to be the plan? How are people going to be taken to hospitals? How are the dead going to be uh, preserved and buried and taken All care of? All so kinds kind of scenarios are taken. But in Nigeria, we just don't plan. We eat the money that comes, right? Uh, as they say, eat the money. <laughs> and then the thing happens, and we say, Jesus, oh, allow. You know, I mean, it's, that's it's a, that's really... an oxymoron. When people always say that, that you eat the money, I'm like, yeah, do you yeah, use peanut butter? Yeah, oh, yeah, butter. yeah, that's right. That's right you know, <laughs> I, it's, it's one phrase that is so, it's so funny, interesting. Man. But you know, the, the, the thing is that Niger- too many people in Nigeria are, you know, are so beholden to wealth, as if, as if this 
is it's, it's something extraordinary and an end in itself. So beholding that there might as well be. I think people, people have that mentality of the old days that wealth comes straight from God. Like that's how kings were created. Wealth, yes, people became kings. So wealth was created, you know, uh, from God. No matter how you got it, as far as got it to your accounts. Even though we knew that the kings are slaves, yep. who worked and died to create their wealth. Yeah. As far and, as it got it to your accounts, mm-hmm. it came from God. That's all. You know. Yeah. So. Anyway, so um, so I mean, this is where we're going to stop it for this week and continue, you know, for for this episode. Uh, and hopefully, we'll continue uh, with the next episode. Um, hey, man, it's ongoing. It's been an exhilarating session for me. Yeah, I think I think you know people can express a lot more things in podcasts. Like I said, man, I always love it. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, nobody. Should, if you want to come after me, all I get think that's your problem. Yes, <laughs> man. Life. All right, man. Till next episode. So. All right. Take care, all. All right.